milk check. Now, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of RX Radio. I am super excited here to have Dr. Alex Barrett here with us, uh, another pharmacist with Magellan RX. Uh, we're continuing on with our series uh, for October Pharmacist Month. And um, thank you for taking the time out of, out of the busy day to be on the show. Really do appreciate it. Thanks for having me. And uh, so let's start by, we're going to get into what you do and, and kind of here at Magellan your day to day. But first, let's talk about like kind of some background on you, uh, where you went to school, just where you grew up even, some hobbies, um, and then any previous experience before Magellan. Sure. So um, I grew up in Cherry Hill, New Jersey, which is about three and a half hours south of here. Uh, I ended up going to University of Rhode Island, which is kind of why I stuck around afterwards, too. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um, I ended up, my first job out of college was retail pharmacy, much mm-hmm. like you're going to hear the story of a lot of people in Yeah, Maryland. yeah. Started in retail pharmacy. After about eight months, I realized it wasn't really for me. Uh, and then I interned here as a rotational student, mm-hmm. uh, asked Steve Cutts, who I think you're going to interview later mm-hmm. for a, for a position. And he had one available that I interviewed for and eventually got, yeah. um, and I've been here for about six years now. Uh, I started as a call center pharmacist and moved my way up to now I'm senior director of clinical operations here. Cool. Um, but yeah, so it's been, it's been kind of an interesting road to get here and one yeah. that I did not really predict in yeah. pharmacy school. So I, I was actually um, just a, a weird connection that we have. I was actually born in New Jersey. Oh, really? Okay. Um, but I, I was born in New Brunswick. Okay. But I moved to Miami when I was one, so I have wow. zero recollection <laughs> of like what New Jersey's like. But I tell people, yeah, I'm from Jersey. Yeah, yeah, yeah no, but I'm, I'm, I was raised in Miami, though. So um, so cool. Good to hear. So um, what is it that you're doing now? So you said your role is um, director of uh, clinical operations. operations. Yep. What is it? that you are usually responsible for? Like, what's your, what's your main role do? So I, for, I, I guess, lack of better words, I, I oversee a large group of clinical personnel who complete calls for various mm-hmm. types of clinical projects. So I oversee a group of nurses, I oversee a group of pharmacists and technicians and customer care associates. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they complete programs day to daily that range anywhere from medical utilization management all the way to MTM, star ratings programs, kind of anything under the sun as far as the clinical umbrella is concerned. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my main job is to make sure that we're successful on all of those. So I oversee those people, I do one-on-ones, I meet in groups and, and get feedback on the programs, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So okay. it's, it was a big rewiring for me to go from retail pharmacist to this. Yeah. It was almost like I had to retrain my brain to be a businessman first and then a pharmacist second, mm-hmm. which is kind of like, I, you know, I didn't have an MBA. Mm-hmm. So it was... It was kind of a long road to get there, even things like learning phone systems, which yeah. is something that you're not going to learn in school, um, that I had to train myself and learn through just uh, tricks of the trade, too. Yeah. So just to harp on that a little bit, um, can you l- give us a little bit more insight maybe to what that was like for you in terms of like um, getting some of those things that we just did not learn in pharmacy school and maybe like some tips and tricks or some like what you really failed at or just learned quickly that you should have done differently sure. to maybe help someone that comes into your role? Yeah. You know, I think the, and I'm sure you're, you're probably realizing this too in, in a new role. Um, in pharmacy school, they prepare you to be everything, ready for anything that comes under the sun as far as pharmacy is concerned. When you get out of that role and you move into something different that you're not really prepared for, I think my, one of my strongest skills is that I know that I don't know. Yeah. And so <laughs> I'm big on things like YouTube for even just learning uh, 
our, our first analysis for metrics was totally archaic and was built in Excel. And I didn't know how to use Excel even really back then. I knew the basics from pharmacy school and, and charting some things here and there. Mm-hmm. But I basically went on YouTube and I just started searching for this knowledge. And I wasn't afraid to ask questions to random people, even in IT or, say, some of the clinical staff if I had questions on, on their programs and everything like that. But yeah. um, I, I think one thing that you have to accept is that you, you don't know and you have to be okay with asking questions and not being sure in the beginning. And, and also, uh, and it's kind of like one of my main mottos is, you have to uh, you have to fail so you can learn. Yeah, and, and you know not everything that I did went went well. Uh, I really learned from a lot of my mistakes, but you have to keep failing forward is a common phrase that I yeah. like to use. So how do people that like, you know, we'll get. I, I want to get into this a little bit more, but I just want to make sure it doesn't slip my mind here. But the individual that understands they don't know, how do they then communicate the fact that one they don't know something, but then but let people know they're still right or fit for a role. Ooh, that's a good question. I, I know. So that's, that's I think off the cuff. I'm sorry. No, no, it's, it's okay. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's a great question. I, I think you're put into a role because people see potential in you. Uh, even when I got into my management position, from being in the call center, they basically saw that I was really hardworking and that I was quick on my feet, especially mm-hmm. when it came to learning new things. Which is why they put me into that role. So I, I think as far as. Um, Knowing that you're right for that role, even though you don't know what's going on, mm. I, I don't think there's ever a certainty with that, especially when you're when it's uncharted territory, uh, especially with Magellan constantly growing. We're not afraid to try something, and if it doesn't work, improve upon it and fix it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's just going to kind of be your mentality with it too. Yeah. Cool, Sorry if cool. that didn't answer. Your no, 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 no. I think I think it was helpful. Um, so what's your day to day like? So you get you get to work, um, you sit at your desk or office or whatever or stand whatever. Uh, <laughs> what do you what do you do? Like what's your day to day like? So a lot of it's doing one on ones and following up in group meetings about how we're actually doing on the programs, checking in with different people. Um, it tends to be, and this is kind of what I was saying, I have to do the reversal where I become a businessman first and a pharmacist second. Uh, today my role isn't overly clinical, so I'm not doing a lot of things like formulary decisions or something along those mm-hmm. lines. But I have to do a lot of coaching and mentoring for a lot of my staff too, because I oversee managers that oversee large staffs as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try to do as much skip like uh, skip level meetings as I can with actually staff that are directly mm-hmm. doing the calls so I can learn as to what's going on. Um, but for the most part, I get in the morning. Um, I try to have my first half an hour not be emails. I try to have that be my creative time where I'm sitting down and I'm looking at something that we're doing kind of objectively and making sure that it's going well or if we can improve upon it. And if we can, I'll try and figure out new things I can question the staff on to see if mm-hmm. we can. Uh, after that, it's a solid probably hour of, of just emails and running yeah. fire drill type stuff, yeah. um, which is indicative of really any business. You're just going to see that. Um, and, and then from then on, and I think that's kind of the beauty of an operations type role is that you're never really certain what the day is going to have for you. Mm-hmm. Some days everything goes perfectly and you're able to have a bunch of meetings and you're really productive. Mm-hmm. Other days it ends up being more, you have to really check in on a couple key issues. Maybe a client really wants something that we don't have built out yet, mm-hmm. or maybe they're just asking questions or we have to write a proposal. And those are all those kinds of things that they throw me on and I kind of have to figure it out. Yeah. So this is going to be a personal question for me. Sure. Uh, like this is a uh, um, selfish question, I should say. How, what's your project management like? Like, what, are you using a specific project management tool? And then how are, how are you, like, managing your time with that because of the variances that kind of always gets thrown at you? Sure. So, and, you know, I think that's kind of been an evolution of myself throughout my role as well. In the beginning, it was all mental, which I'm sure, as you know, does, does not work out appropriately. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I kind of waver between using things like OneNote in uh-huh. Microsoft 
And then I also tend to just revert back to pen and paper, which is why I always have a notebook with me, yeah. or just my whiteboard, where I will have 50 things written out, and I usually have different color coding schemes for, what I guess, like what kind of project it is, what client it's for, yeah. where we're at in the progress for it. Um, I don't think there's ever a direct best system for it, mm. and I think assuming that you have a system that always works is probably not the way to do it either. But, yeah. Um, organization is something that definitely becomes an issue when you have a staff of about 100 people. Yeah. So. It becomes a lot. Yeah, that's it's and um, how are you how are you managing your time? I should say because like you're like all these things are thrown at you. You're saying you're telling me that your day is always different. Um, what is it? What is your thought process in terms of time management? So time management, I think, is a double edged sword. Um, only because it's and I read it. I end up listening, like I told you earlier, a bunch. About, yeah. I listen to a bunch of podcasts and read a bunch of books on mm-hmm. on self improvement and everything too. But um, if you don't have time, you don't have priorities. So you'll see a lot of people that try to accomplish everything that they can within a single day, and they're either not completing enough because they're only working eight hours, or they're never they're just working extended hours all the time, so they're not satisfied with their jobs. I think what it really comes down to is that you have to build a team around you that you can delegate things to so you can really focus on what your job entails. Mm-hmm. So I guess a long-winded way of getting to an answer is some things you you have to learn over time Mm -hmm. what is truly urgent and what is not because in a role like this too especially when it's directly related to the work that's being done for clients you really have to get used to what is actually something i have to handle now what's something that i can put off and if Mm -hmm. it's something i can put off you also have to ask should i put it off or should i just give it to somebody and trust them to do it um because i think you see a lot of people who get into roles that are that are elevated over time and they're not used to delegating so they run out of time Mm-hmm. And they end up, if they give something to somebody, it's, they've already baked it all out and just told them to do a couple key things. I like to really try and grow my staff so that as I get more and more tasks, yeah. my time management kind of stays consistent because I'm mm-hmm. able to really train people to delegate things to as well. Yeah. So, sorry, I'm going off topic a lot here. No, it's really cool. I have, yeah, a, I have, a, I have a, a question that popped up because you said that you, you're reading a lot of like self, right? reading, listening to, watching, whatever the case may be, a lot of self-improvement and things like that to help with uh, whether it be day-to-day or personal growth. Do you ever feel that a lot of it gets repetitive or do you end up, do you always kind of, is there always like a small thing that you'll get from something or would you say that when you're going from one thing to the next thing to the next thing, are you getting great like leaps of knowledge from those things or are they beginning to get repetitive as you as you as, as the time goes along that you're reading more and more and more of this it's actually a great question i never really thought to, to, to put it that way before but I, I think some of it is repetitive but i think it's all and it's kind of about being a leader in the first place too is whoever can tell that same story to you and make it actually mean something to you is what i really look for because you're right i think some of the stuff is repetitive it's all mm-hmm. you know make sure you're managing your time work hard do all that kind of stuff make sure you're delegating when you can delegate um, but it, when I look at people like Ray Dalio, who's, mm. who's the uh, founder of Bridge, Bridgewater, I mm. think it is, and he's just like this huge hedge fund guy. He's got nothing to do with pharmacy, and he's got nothing to do with really business ops. But I look at what he says, and he runs his group very specifically. And one thing that he really said that, you know, it makes sense in theory. Everyone knows it. But he runs his group as not just like a democracy or anything like that. He runs an idea meritocracy, which I thought was the most bizarre and foreign concept. And basically what it is is that it's not necessarily that everyone needs to agree on the same thing for it to be right. It's just the best idea that has the most merit is what should be listened to and followed. And so it may not, it may not be my opinion, and, and that's kind of the way that I run the staff, too. Mm-hmm. So e- even just novel concepts like that, tons of people have brought it up in similar ways before, but it's just really whoever tells that story the best is kind of what I look for. And I find that 
even if it is things being told the same way, if they're told by different people and in different situations are brought up, I do learn something new each time. Like it resonates so, differently. Almost. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And it's like you, you can have, um, you know, like Tony Tony Robbins is another guy too that he tells the same story that everyone else does, but he's just wildly successful because of the way he's able to tell those stories and really resonate yeah. with people. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, I always, I mean, because I, I don't, I don't do a lot of it, whereas I'm, I'm not saying that it's not helpful or anything. I just mm-hmm. I just haven't done that. I've always been whether it be studying or working. Like it just um, it, I don't I don't consume a lot of it in that sense. Mm-hmm. So, but the times that I have done it, I have seen that I was like, okay, well that makes sense. And a lot of times, a lot of times it just takes them to tell it to you, like just to say it like in one sentence. Yep. You're like, oh, like I've heard that, but now it really clicks with me. So yeah, yeah I, I was just. Uh, uh, I wanted to pick your brain about that, but um, yeah, and it's it's interesting too, and not to like interject. Yeah. I know we're tr- we're going down a wormhole. No, 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 sure. that's why I like um, it. I mean, hopefully y- people will too. If not, <laughs> shut it off. <laughs> but um, <laughs> you know, one of the big biggest things I will say too is that a lot of people end up getting so like a lot of people don't digest that kind of stuff, and they don't need to. They're intrinsically motivated enough where they can, mm-hmm. and then you see uh, the extreme opposite, which is where there are people that constantly need that type of reinforcement and watch it all the time, but don't actually take action. Mm-hmm. And so that's kind of where I think it's the information is only useful that you're reading and that you're absorbing if you're actually taking action afterwards. Yeah. If you're if you're loading yourself with that kind of knowledge where you're not doing anything, yeah. then it's really, what does it matter? Yeah. But even if you just listen to one makes person sense. that you resonates with you and you actually do something, then it, mm-hmm. it makes all the difference in the world. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, back to Magellan. Yes. So <laughs> let's say that you want to, um, what, w- what would you say like a person really needs to have like in place or the qualities that they really need to have to kind of do your role. So if you if you were creating a whole new Magellan and you're like, I need to replicate me, um, what is it, or, or not replicate you, but just th- these are, are absolutely needed for this role to be successful, what would it be that, that you would have to put in place there for that person? I think it ends up being a lot of why people love Magellan so much in the first place, and it's very similar with my role too. It's I think the first quality would be adaptability. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because what you're doing today may not be what you're asked to do tomorrow. And, and there may be a new need with a new client or something like that that gets brought up and you have to be able to say yes or no based on what your skill set is, but you also can't be afraid to say, you know, I'm okay with trying this and I'm gonna do what I can to make it successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and so adaptability, and then I think also being, when you're managing a large group, it's kind of that idea of meritocracy type of thing where, um, in my opinion, you really have to be a master negotiator because you have to be able to weigh what the clients are saying and thus what account management is bringing to my group because obviously they're dealing with the clients. Mm-hmm. So if they have a huge ordeal they're handling, they may make it seem like it's the end of the world. Yeah. When they bring it to you, you have to be able to balance what your team's needs are and basically create a middle ground between those two and be that conduit that really strengthens the relationship. Yeah. So, so I think adaptability, being a master negotiator, and then, frankly, I'm always just a proponent of just hard work, too. Yeah. Just, just being able to, to grind it out if you need to and work Get your hands dirty. Yep. Yeah. So you said the words master negotiator. Sure. That indicates to me that you have some advice that you can give people on how to be a good negotiator. Yeah. Do you have any? You know, <laughs> uh, I, I think um, a lot of people draw assumptions from the first couple of things they hear people say. Mm-hmm. And I think one thing that I've really learned over the years is that, especially when you're trying to become that conduit between different groups, different parties, even just between different employees if you're that supervisor. Um, I think something that, that's really important, uh, it's, it's just to listen. Mm-hmm. It's to actually hear what people have to say. And even if you don't inherently agree with them, you always have to be able to take that objective standpoint, hear what they're saying, and think to yourself, am I wrong here in the first place? And, and you know, what can I do to help these groups agree with each other? Is there anything I can do? Yeah. Um, 
I think a lot of people get very ambitious that they just want to get in there. And it's, 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 I think it's a pharmacist's just kind of natural nature in general mm -hmm. is they want to go in and be able to just do it right away because they're so used to being successful at school or successful at life in general. You, you have to be able to take a step back and say, what are these people really saying to me and how can I make this work? Yeah. So you're saying to be a master negotiator, you have to, what seems to be counterintuitive in the, in the sense of when you hear the word negotiate, stop and listen. Exactly. And be a good listener. That's really interesting, actually. I like that. Um, so let's talk about the future of pharmacy. Yep. Um, what, what are, how are you, uh, I guess, stepping out of Magellan again, or, or whether it be within Magellan, sure. too, what, what are you seeing as to, like, what are your thoughts on the future of pharmacy and, and where it's going, um, whether it be your role in particular or just the, the industry? Um, let me hear some thoughts on that. So I think when you look at what I'm currently overseeing in the context of my job, uh, because I oversee a lot of the Part D star rating programs initiatives mm -hmm. where we try to basically raise health plan star measures, um, we're seeing things get more and more regulated with time. And I think that's because both health plans and their members want higher standards for care. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I think the changes that I'm really seeing are, are, are based more in that there's more regulations, more rules to follow. And, and, and it's it's becoming increasingly more difficult for these large organizations making sure they're staying on top of it all because they may have built these processes that once you know satisfied all the conditions and they're having to change that over time. Yeah. So I, I think as far as trends go, I'm seeing a lot more regulation, which is, in my opinion, honestly a good thing. Mm -hmm. um, not to get like political about it or anything like that, but it, I think it's good because it creates a standard of care for all people, especially when it, when it comes to Part D. Yeah. So, the, I mean, it's funny because they're, they're you'll probably get a lot of pushback in terms of like more regulations is good when a lot of people are saying it's too much already Yep. Um, as it is now. So that, that's definitely an interesting um, an interesting take on it. I think it's all fair balance. Yeah. Too. So yeah. for this one particular issue, I think it's, I think it's very yeah. good. I mean, it, even around star ratings, it, you know, they're saying that it's too much and, and it's, um, I was at NASP recently and a lot of the, some of the conversations were around, not not getting rid of it as a whole, like in terms of star ratings, but maybe making the the metrics a little bit more like around customer satisfaction, um, which which I guess they have studies that show that that is, um, you know, promotes uh, good health behaviors um, because they're satisfied with uh, the services provided instead of measuring you know X percent of statin use or sure. statin utilization. Yeah, you yeah. Know? So, do you have any thoughts on that? Or um, I don't see why they can't coexist. Yeah. I think that they, in my opinion, they can both be accomplished. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'm not sure how exactly. I've never had to really look at that. I mean, customer service has always been a big part of Magellan's philosophy and, and a part of my group's spe uh, specific philosophy as well. Um, but yeah, I think I think in terms of those coexisting, my opinion would be that it can probably be done. It, yeah. Companies will find a way if CMS regulates something differently. Mm -hmm. uh, that's that's our job too. Mm -hmm. So, Is there anything that excites you about like technology and, and the advancements as it relates to pharmacy? As, as far as technology goes, uh, you know, I'm still using Excel from like 2003, yeah. so, so I'm, I'm pretty pumped about that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but, but when I look at it over time, um, the technology aspect, not so much. I, I think the thing that really excites me, and I think it's evidenced by, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're a purveyor or a watcher of uh, Netflix or anything like that, mm -hmm. but health documentaries are becoming such a huge phenomenon all of a sudden. Okay. And I think the thing that really excites me about pharmacy, uh, and I noticed it near the tail end of when I was a retail pharmacist too, is that health literacy is becoming a whole new definition of itself where members not only want to really understand what their disease states are 
and what the medications they're taking are, but they want to understand the holistic picture of their care. And that, to me, as a pharmacist, really excites me because now it's not just a, and, and not to say there's anything wrong with that either, everyone's got their own thing, but before I think it was a lot more, you go to the doctor, they prescribe you something, that's it. Mm. And now I think it's a lot more, people want to be informed about their care, why they're getting that medication, what it means to them, side effects, all that kind of stuff. Because when we do CMRs, which is a big part of what my group does, um, the questions that my staff has asked, because we listen to the call times too, they're, they're very in-depth and you would not expect someone without much knowledge base in, in pharmacy to be able to ask those questions. So I think that's kind of the trend that I'm noticing, um, not necessarily related to technology, but just pharmacy trending. Mm-hmm. I, I do see uh, the consumer becoming much more informed and wanting to know more. Yeah. That's, a, that's you know, because it's funny. I think anytime that I usually ask a question about like technology, someone spits out some crazy like AI or something <laughs> crazy. You're like, no, nah, forget technology. We need to educate these people. <laughs> you know, like, so I like that. I like that answer. It's yeah, really interesting. I, I like, uh, and it's, uh, I think, you know, through like just my, my amount of reading mm-hmm. uh, and everything too, I'm big on just self-empowerment. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that technology can accomplish a whole lot, but I think first, uh, I'm always a proponent of the basics. So mm-hmm. does, does the member actually know everything about that medication that they should know? Mm-hmm. And, and do they know everything about their disease states and the causal agents and, and what they can do even just outside, you know, um, obviously there's, there's uh, lifestyle modification isn't going to fix everything, but what can they do outside of medications too? And these are the kinds of questions that they're asking pharmacists now too, especially in the community setting. Yeah. So I find all that just like very, yeah. uh, I don't know, I, th- I, think it's, I think it's moving in the right direction as far as that's concerned. So I need to wrap up here, which sucks. I feel like I can talk to you for you know a solid couple hours. But um, the the last question I, I guess I'm, I want to leave the listeners with is: so you said you you came from community. Um, you know you did have a rotation here, so I kind of put your foot in the door. Um, but uh, you know, so obviously planting seeds are important. But beyond planting a seed with someone, what do you think that was important that you did to maybe let Steve to say, hey, you know what, he's going to be a good fit here? Like, what what were some things that you can maybe give advice on to do as you're planting these seeds? So that way it can flourish into a, a beautiful flower at the end of it all for, for a position. So, so I think it's kind of what we spoke about earlier, too, is that um, you can listen to all the advice in the world, but it doesn't mean anything until you take action. So if you're going to take the time to plant those seeds and you're going to take the time to, to realize that, you know, maybe you do want to go into a managed care type of setting, when that opportunity arises, don't pass it mm-hmm. up. And you have to be okay with taking a risk that maybe the position isn't your ideal scenario. Maybe you live in Boston and it's not anywhere near that. Maybe it's in Texas. Mm-hmm. You have to be willing to take that risk to say, I am going to apply to it and I'm going to do it with conviction. If yeah. they bring me into that position, I'm okay with moving for it. And the, especially if you're earlier in your career, uh, you have more risks that you can take. And not that you can't take them later in life mm-hmm. too. Um, but I think people oftentimes will be, the, the situation will come their way and they won't know how to act on it. So mm-hmm. that, that's the one thing that I can say is that uh, when luck meets opportunity, make sure you actually take that action. Yeah, yeah. Well, and what's the best way that people can contact you in case they want to continue the conversation? I hope that you guys better reach out to this guy. It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, it, so I guess the easiest way would be uh, my, my email here at Magellan. Yeah. It's, uh, do you want me to say it? Yeah, you can lot? say it, and then I'll also put in the notes Sure, there. it's abarretts at MagellanHealth.com. Perfect. Um, yeah, and, and I, I've gotten questions before from previous rotational students, but, but I love uh, – and, and frankly, this isn't just because I work here, but the opportunities that Magellan has for anyone who just wants to get into managed care, you don't, and that kind of refers back to your last question too, actually, but I think a lot of people assume they need managed care experience to be, get a managed care job. And I started with no managed care experience. Pretty much everyone that's on the clinical team here in Newport specifically, it's a smaller group, but uh, they all started in the call center too without much managed care experience. Yeah. So 
I love getting questions about how to get into managed care, all the different types of managed care there are, um, mm-hmm. even just specific questions about my role. Yeah. Um, so I encourage people to reach out to me if they can. Awesome. Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. Super helpful. Thank you very much. Hey, everyone. First of all, thank you so much uh, for being a listener, for being a subscriber and taking in all the content that we're putting out. And I really want to thank the folks over at Magellan RX for making this happen, uh, both to the pharmacist that uh, we interviewed in the series and also the marketing team over at Magellan. I really do appreciate you guys for uh, really making this come to life uh, for, uh, for October Pharmacist Month. And uh, if you want to learn more about Magellan, what they're doing, visit them at MagellanRx.com. I'm going to link their uh, website information in the show notes below. And, uh, you know, if you haven't subscribed yet, definitely make sure to subscribe to the podcast and follow us on any of your favorite social media platforms, uh, whether it be Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, We're on all those. And until next time, see you over the counter. Pharmacy.